1: i supposed to make the world a better place.
0: What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to you see yourself become a villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this
1: anymore! This whole thing is insane! This whole thing
0: is insane! 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? War Power
1: This is now the United States of Zombieland This whole thing is insane Man is evil, capable
0: of nothing but destruction Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of
1: War Power Welcome to the desert of the real War Power
0: There can be only one are you a God-fearing man, Senator? It's such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a
2: bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and a welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is especially with the latest AB Live. Audio version for thee in this eternal now and in this red pill cafeteria. Mystic spiritual teacher and author, Sarah Elkhaldi, joined the virtual Alexandria. She shared her ideas on alchemy and spiritual evolution. What can we do to elevate our energetic transmission to heal a sick culture and wounded earth? As above, so below. As within, so without. Thus, it's about learning to look inward, face our shadows, and activate our souls. And as Sarah also revealed, it's how to deal with the trickster and the Argons. Needless to say, and as you'll see in the interview, we need Gnosis more than ever. Expect more violence, wars, rising addiction and suicide rates, mass depression and societal collapse until more look, yes inward, while breaking the outward spell of Yaldi Baldi and his Epstein angels. You will not find this high quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or many of my guests and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. Don't forget my voiceover availability for any podcast, commercial, audiobook, documentary, or whatever. I'll bring you stellar results with down to home professionalism. And don't forget, I do have an Amazon wishlist and a fantastic merch store. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. But first, a few clips from the Gnostic theme movie, The Nines. Which we talk about in the interview and underscore Sarah's worldview and amazing work.
0: Why are you doing this? You did this to yourself. And admitting that is the first step. You're a crackhead. Thing is, this planet and these people, they're your drug of choice. It wasn't that hard to make a universe. At first, you just checked in every once in a while. See how the Neanderthals were doing. Move a couple of continents around. But then you got more into it. You started playing a couple of characters of your own. Slaves, kings, messiahs. Pretty soon, you were playing 24-7. How long have I been? You've been gone for 4,000 years. Not that time means the same for us. You came looking for me. Why now? Because you forgot who you were.
1: They forgot this wasn't real.
0: We couldn't just storm in on a fiery chariot. It was your universe. Different we different had to play by rules. your rules. We had to show you how limited and corrupt your little world was. Don't get me wrong. It's it's a nice place. It's cozy. But do you remember where you came from? It was warm and white,
1: like a you can't describe it with human words.
0: You can't think it with human thoughts. We need you to come back. With us. Come back with me. You need to go, don't you? No. I can stay. How long? Forever? Every day you'd be here, you'd know what you were missing? What happens if you go?
1: The worst case scenario? Disintegration of everything into a fiery void. Oblivio is the end of everything.
0: That's all?
2: That probably wouldn't happen. I guess I'm more worried about the human factor. You guys kill each other a lot.
0: In fairness, that's usually in your name. Plus, we've gotten much more efficient it.
2: I like this world. I
0: like my life here with you and well. But it's not real. I'm not really your wife. I'm not really my husband. On some level, it's all pretend. How many versions were there? Ninety. This is the last one. Wow.
1: I've destroyed billions of people with a thought.
0: And you'd like to think that it's painless? Stop. You don't have to explain or apologize. Everything that is is because of you. And if that's all there is, that's enough. So? So? really need to pack anything i'm good great it has been a pleasure likewise i love you i love you too
2: welcome everybody welcome to aeon bite ab live and yes the virtual alexandria academy is open as so are many other dreams of sophia my name is Miguel Connor and I am still your pompeous of gnosis. So and we've got a hunka of hunka of burning gnosis tonight with a great show. Welcome everybody. I see you guys already uh, flocking into the chat room. There's already people with questions before the interview started. And <laughs> I'm sure we're gonna get some great answers because with us today is I was talking to her before the show. Her daily videos, whether they're on Instagram or YouTube, are like my my vitamins, if you would. It's like I take them and I feel spiritually strong to get through the day. Uh, I think there is another one, Corey Muscara, who was like, I, I, I need his stuff too. Uh, but this is the kind of stuff that I really love. So so it is an honor to have Sari Elkhaldi at the Virtual Alexander and Ayan Bite. Sarah, thank you very much for coming on the show.
3: Thank you so much.
2: Great to have you. And with us, too, we have the Moondog, Vance. Vance, how are you doing?
1: I am fine. I am fine.
2: Well, yeah, it sounds such energy, Vance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: the animals are kicking in.
1: <laughs> it's called work. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, it is work. Uh, the daily. staring at
1: wiggly lines all, all day. Well, here you satellites are. Satellites out of control. Well,
2: Literally, here you seems- are. Here you are for the other nice dose. Well, awesome. Well, uh, not not a lot of uh house uh what do you call it, housekeeping today, as always. If you have a question for Sarah, please do a super chat or write it in all caps, all question marks. That way Vance can notice you over there in the chat, and then we can provide it to Sarah. And uh, yeah, a lot of great shows. Uh, I just realized that tomorrow is Groundhog Day. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, I was trying to explain to my nine-year-old son the theme of reoccurrence. How we've had this conversation countless times. And he's like, well, why are you telling me again? I'm like, okay, yes, make it. What do you think, Sarah? What do you think about the Nietzschean theme of eternal reoccurrence? Do you buy that?
3: You know, it's funny because um, I was on some trip about like six years ago, and the guy who owned the house in Big Bear gave me this book, and I didn't even want it, and I didn't ask for it, and I forget what it was about, but he wanted to make it a movie. He was like a producer or something, Um, and it was about that, and I really wish I recalled the name because I think you might, like, it it was a popular novel in sci-fi but yeah so I found that really interesting because this is the first time I thought about that in six years so there's something there for me I need to go <laughs> revisit look for that book but yeah so the theme of reoccurrence absolutely I mean I am a big believer of um the generosity of the of, of our higher aspects the um the expanded version of ourselves being able to provide to us whatever we need in what one could say a reoccurring way in order for us to be able to um, elevate or integrate the lesson, so to speak, and until that is you know thoroughly fully communed with and integrated at a deep level, then yes, I do believe heavily in the theme of reoccurrence and, you know, groundhog activity.
2: Yeah. Well, that's it until we learn our lesson. Yeah. Groundhog Day is a movie. I think recently there's a show on Netflix called Russian Doll, which plays with that theme. Uh, If you check that out, it's pretty good. And uh, also uh, it cracks me up because I forget it, you were in an interview as one of your YouTube channels. You were talking about describing your work or your beliefs, and you came up with a movie which I haven't watched in years, which I used to quote a lot, and that's Ryan Reynolds' The Nines.
3: Dude, and- that movie tripped me out. That came at a specific time, though, where I felt like it was created. They didn't even know they were creating it for that reason, but I felt like it was created to specifically trigger in me that deeper level that had already come into fruition through that first experience. But that was, that was what bumped it, you know, later on into like, oh, okay, I'm in a different state of consciousness. I'm not in as deep of a trance state or altered state of consciousness. I'm in a semi altered state. And that's what really gave it that lift or that boost to be like, okay, okay. I understand. I, I understand the message. I felt like that. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people think that a movie is made specifically to convey a message to them, but never have I ever experienced a movie before where that felt like such a direct message for me.
2: Yeah. Uh, same, same here. And again, it's a, uh, it puts it, uh, it's a simple way and sometimes it's easier. You can sit there and talk all these philosophical mystic themes, but when you show them in a piece of art or fiction, People go, ah, that's what Sarah's talking about.
0: Exactly. Uh,
2: Yeah, great film and uh, certainly uh, has its Gnostic themes and has so many themes. What about you, Vince? You've seen The Nines, and what do you think of Eternal Recurrence? Oh, yeah, a couple
1: of times. Yeah, you know, Philip K. Dick had a book called uh, Now Wait for Last Year, (laughs) which I think uh, has something to do with that. You know, he was a Gnostic. It's been a while since I read Mm it. Uh, Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, He said he, he was reluctantly admitted it, he said, in his exegesis, but he was. He, he talks about thing. reoccurring themes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. More than one of his books. More than one yeah, of his
2: books. Yeah, he played with a lot of themes, but his experience, his mystical experience were very Gnostic towards the end of his life. So
1: Yeah, well, archetypes, cycles, you know, that's all mixed up together. And what is an archetype? It's something that, you know, a, a particular configuration that recurs through time. Yeah. yeah,
3: I remember him writing something saying that a personal revelation of his revealed that from the crucifixion and on, we have been in a repeating loop, time loop.
1: Yes, from yeah. Roman times, right? The, the empire never ended. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, uh, great, great messages by Dick. So, so Sarah, maybe share with the audience who might not know, how did you uh turn into these esoteric paths you weren't like ryan reynolds trapped uh, arrested and house arrest or something right (laughs) melissa mccarthy had to like wake you up it was not that
3: (laughs) no my path was always sending me that you know in different ways um actually you guys might appreciate this this is probably why i had this thought today so earlier in my spirituality Um, or my, you know, exploration, always, I've I've always been inquisitive, burning desire inquisitiveness, because of how much existential angst I came, came into this life with. So when people were thinking about like, oh, a sandbox, I was like, oh, my God, if the Dalmatian toy is in the sand, and then it goes all the way in, and it can't breathe, like what happens to infinity? (laughs) So I never had a filter on as a child of child, like, mind, I guess you could call it. And so to draw kind of like a coherency out of like, where do I begin? I started dabbling into spirituality simultaneously, when I was waking up into conspiracy documentaries, I don't even like calling it that term, but you know, like that type of genre. And so um I started off on that end of the spectrum, not really in the spiritual mentality at all, but then just kind of like unfolded into that. And then I started once again, having like Dalmatian trapped in the sandbox thoughts only this time about like alien invasions. Mm -hmm. So I'd be like, like an example, I'd be at a party, right? You're supposed to just talk and drink and whatnot at a party. And I, and I remember so vividly, I got this flash of information that came almost in a packet it just came in like a, like quick flashes of a montage. And I went, oh. And then like I looked weird saying that. So I had to explain to my friend why I said that. <laughs> and I told her I just had an extremely vivid flash of an alien invasion that is taking that on Earth where like aliens come and I did not have a negative reference point for them at this point in my life. I want to say I believed in them, obviously, I mean, duh, but it wasn't, it was neither. It was, if it, it ended on the, it was on the positive side, if ever to neutral, to, to super positive. end. and so it, it was not in my realm yet to have this flash of humans. <laughs> sorry for the graphicness <laughs> Um humans having chains around their necks and in a line um, because because aliens. And so, so that was pretty disturbing, especially, like I said, my context wasn't there, even though I was excavating and inquiring and things of that nature. And those flashes didn't come all the time, but they came enough for me to start going down that yellow brick road, for me to start pointing what you know, out of all the areas to focus on, because there's so many different areas to go into that led me for a while out of like the esoteric realm, which, you know, the the deeper teachings of religion, but more into the fringe realm. And, and as you guys know very well, they coincide, they overlap, but that got me more into the um, celestial stellar realm of it. Whereas before I understood these things strictly from, you know, uh, more of still relating to it and internally communing with it, but from a psyche perspective, not a fringe perspective.
2: No, that makes sense. And when uh, clients come to you or people reach out to you, and for example, you've shared some of experience, I've had experience, obviously, Philip K. Dick and others are natural born mystics Their One foot is in the other realm. But they go, well, Sarah, I've never had a mystical experience. Uh, am I worth it? Or what can you do for me? What do you tell them?
3: Well, for the energy healing work that I do, it pretty much meets the client wherever they're at. To be honest, I am very impressed with the caliber of the clients that come to me. So they have had mystical experiences already for the most part. If they haven't, it's completely fine, but um, they definitely are needing a mirror of how conscious they are. That's one of the things I try to provide the most is people don't have a proper mirror of just how conscious they are because they don't have a support system. But how I, how I usually help with that is, um, the higher self will choose certain frequencies during the healing section of the, the healing to specifically activate whatever needs to be activated in a client's energy field. From there, I always say we do our part and then it collapses and it's the quantum's part. So I can't predict the quantum, but also it's that energy of allowance and surrender that is the strongest part of co-creation. You don't want an energy healer or a sage or any type of person you're coming to for assistance in this way, at least from an energetic viewpoint, to be super involved in your process because then they have a subconscious motivation expectation they're coming from some sort of wound and then that all of that seeps into the work it 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 muddles it 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 taints it
2: no that that makes that makes perfect sense and yeah i think uh uh the miracle well people come to you when they're we come because we want help and uh that's the healing to me sometimes that's the miracle and everything will take care of itself if you if you have a uh, trust and do you think that we are all natural born healers or what do you think like uh, for example i've talked experiences with my uncle he's the head of the santu Dime church uh, we do ayahuasca and he can just put put his hands two feet away and you can feel like your body flooded with this energy that's so beautiful. But of course, healing can be, as I say, well, healing, if we believe in what we believe, then healing doesn't have to be local. It can be non-local. We, should, we can heal across the globe. But do you think we're all healers or what's your, your take on that?
3: I definitely feel like people have... I feel like we have it all, all of us, but then coming into a life, we choose beforehand to activate certain things. And then those, let's call it biases or distortions rather are what build up our personal identity and the personal intentions for that lifetime. So on one hand, yeah, we're all healers, but on another hand, there are, you know, a lot of us, not even like a little select few, a lot of us that came in activated more of that healer type um, of archetype for me it's a wounded healer but yeah any one of those type of um, archetypes where they're on a healing path and then I would say that on top of that if a person is just aimed toward higher consciousness in general they're a healer whether they're whether they're directly down that path or not they're they're a healer (laughs)
2: yeah yeah many ways to heal and uh what's your take to, on the situation today <laughs> since these are strange times if you to say the least uh do you think uh our society is eroding to nothing do you think perhaps we are going through an awakening uh what's your take on these uh very interesting uh well like like i like to say this philip k dick world
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that's actually a very accurate piece Um, I think it's both. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing schizophrenia playing out at the extreme, right? Before in different ages, there were different themes, different energies going on. So yeah, people were into the concept of ascension in, in, you know, whatever terminology they considered that and whatnot, but it it wasn't even mysticism. Mysticism always was Inextricably linked with, you know, uh, some sort of salvic um, ascent, ascent of the soul, some sort, you know, or that that in one way or another still falls under the category of healing. But that doesn't mean that that was the theme, the spirit of that age, still. And so we're in a, the spirit of this age is one of very massive discernment, which Gnosticism, you know, conveys. I I believe gnosis to be synonymous with discernment so one of discernment because of that extremity that we're we're seeing so we're having on one so we're having a few different polarizations happening we could say the first layer shall we say will be on the third dimensional layer so the third dimensional layer shows up in the third dimensional world that's through media that's through politics that's through the world stage the theatrics shall we say So we have that polarization going on first but then you know like let's say at a hyper dimensional level we have a polarization happening between that whole lower third dimensional world that's going on versus um those who in this cycle of they're in a stage of developmental soul that is able to progress and this isn't a superiority this has nothing to do with that because a truly mature soul knows a truly mature soul knows that in the larger scope of things there are only lessons and that a master is continuously growing themselves and evolving so it's not once we introduce a certain type of hierarchy to it I'm sure you guys might have run into certain types of sound bites or, or cool catch phrases going on lately about chosen ones. <laughs> oh yeah. So there's this certain type of mentality that if you track where it's rooted from, then it's it's not as a mature, developed place than just knowing that the soul is in different stages of development you know in Gnosticism, the three stages of development it's in different stages of development and that unfortunately against my be- <laughs> against my own personal will and my best wishes um, the the ascent shall we call it is not going to be, be able to be uh, embodied for all souls because they're not at the same stage of development
2: that makes sense and uh something we probably agree with is uh, uh i like to say these days or it's been a few years i also besides the philip k dick i called it this age of hermes i feel we are truly whatever you want to call it the archetype energy force god of the trickster has really taken over and this force is our salvation, but as always, it's our doom. There's no choice, you either lean into the trickster or you go mad, but uh, you did a great video on the trickster. Do you agree with what I'm saying? Or let me tell us your views on the tricksters.
3: Yeah, you know, um, really, really early in my journey, cause now I would never get a reading, but early in my journey, I allowed one of my friends who's psychic to give me a reading. She gave me this reading spot on except one thing i didn't know what the trickster archetype was this was like a decade and some change ago so 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 i'm like well what's the trickster and you know she was just receiving information so i'm not really even sure she knew what the trickster was that's just what when i when i was given the archetype so then i went on a quest to go find out what the trickster archetype was and i ended up running into Um, a mason who was teaching tarot at some sort of spiritual place. And I got a full workshop on the trickster from a mason and, you know, the, the take on it and the tarot. And what I love about the archetype that I came in with is that it has such a broad bandwidth and one of the biggest challenges in my personal life has been bringing all of my brand- bandwidth through the door, bringing it all through the door, because I always have my intent in my head is I want all of me to go through the door. And I know that that's a lot and I'm going to lose people on the way and that's fine. Uh, but when I do it, I hope I do it mature and gracefully and not because I'm being the immature self saboteur of the trickster, right? Because I'm aware of its detriment. But it's a large bandwidth to fit through the door. So it's heavy. And that's probably goes back to the Dalmatian in the sandbox going all the way (laughs) to infinity. It's like a trickster energy type would be that large of a bandwidth and run that much different energies within them and just try to synthesize it. So I have to answer your question more directly. I have a very fond reverence and affinity for the trickster.
2: Yeah, same here. So like in the nines, the trickster, Ryan Reynolds, he's trapped in these different manifestations of his life. And those that are trying to wake him up are, you might say, they're the tricksters. He's got his life. He doesn't want to be bothered when he's like a parent. He's a father. He's got a daughter. But these tricksters are trying to tell him, no, 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 your reality is false. You are false. I mean, that's part of the trickster, right? Right.
3: Absolutely. The serpent. The serpent in Gnosticism is the trickster right. and and in the positive way and in my own personal beliefs. Yeah. yeah. It's the it's the one it it has a you know, I I agree with Young. I just feel like he brought it way too down to earth. So I agree if we're looking at it from a humanistic perspective, a third-dimensional perspective, yes, absolutely it can be the wounded intuition, it could be the stunted aspect of the psyche that ends up self-sabotaging because it doesn't know how to relate from an intimate and integrative way. Absolutely. But when we take that up a notch and we start putting hyperdimensionality overlaid on top of it, the trickster archetype, I mean, is even linked to Dionysus, which was one of Jesus's prototypes. Like the it, it's innately when you bring the fire, you must endure the heat, right? You are innately going to be called by some, an angel and to that same degree you will be seen as the devil because we're in a world of duality that's the trickster so anyone really who's a mover and shaker is what i call them i call it i call people movers and shakers who give it, who, who care about the world anyone who cares about the world and is doing something whether it's you know just organizing people to help out in a community way or doing grid work or anything to build a new earth i call them a mover and shaker and at some degree, when you're putting yourself out there on the line, how you look to some is going to be so distorted that regardless of whether you even want to be the trickster archetype or not, when you're in a light delivering the truth and you're enduring the fire, you will be considered a trickster, but you will be read as one. Does that make sense? You
2: no, know, it makes sense. And uh I love how you talk about the archons are the tricksters, but as you just said in the Gnostic gospel, Sophia and Jesus are the tricksters because they come from this other realm and they're sneaking around the archons and the Demiurge and turning into serpents to tell Adam and Eve, wake up, get out of here. So you have this like, battle of the tricksters or this game of throne of the tricksters but at the same time you say the trickster also one of his gifts or her gifts is that we no longer see things in black and white right
3: exactly because that's deliverance to me nuance is deliverance that's the gnosis i was i have received is that de, is that nuance is an aspect of discernment discernment is an if you you were to break it up into a trinity it would be gnosis Discernment and nuance. Mm-hmm. And so, nuance to me is deliverance because what I love, my core resonance with Gnosticism now is the internal salvation. Salvation through gnosis, literally, through knowledge versus an external faith. And 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 a, and a and a very blind one at that. So, because I have that core resonance with Gnosticism, there is definitely this um, this a lot of respect and reverence for being able to see that through the nuance of all of reality, what is a poison in one case might be a medicine in another. What is you know completely a rotten teaching just might be it came to you at the wrong part of your journey it wasn't exactly the teaching you needed where you're at it could be harmful that that could be someone else's last puzzle piece they needed (laughs) to (laughs) integrate everything everything is about nuance a lot of times what i teach or even just other things i see being taught throughout the ages are not understood because the person didn't even refine their nuance yet to be able to understand the teaching so then when that happens, what we're kind of left with, like I say kind of because sometimes it's innocent, it's not so like intentional. Sometimes we're left with that scarecrow fallacy. The scarecrow, f- yeah, it's, it's the one that politics uses the most. Um, oh, I'm sorry, straw man.
2: Oh, the straw man, yes, of course.
3: Yeah, scarecrow, straw man.
2: <laughs> they are made of straw man.
3: Yeah, so, the- <laughs> so <laughs> politics uses that one all the time, right? Yeah. Because they're teaching us, we're modeling, we're, we're patterning how to be low consciousness by seeing people say something and then another person go and say, you said this and then define it for them in a really n- out of context, lower frequency way. And that's what happens a lot, even on accident, sometimes on purpose with teachings. It'll be like, you meant that. So that means this. And then it, just, it goes lower and lower and lower and lower from there. But nuance kind of gives teachings the benefit of the doubt. And even here's the cool thing about nuance. Even if a transmitter of knowledge, whoever that may be, is not giving a transmission that's either profound or even what that person might need. If you have nuance, you might hear something super profound, even if the person didn't mean it, because the person was able to grasp something that wasn't even said and use it, harness that towards their own discernment.
2: And it's interesting what you're saying, Sarah, because obviously these people are a lot of the time, yeah, they're not cultivating any sort of nuance. They have no Sophia, no trickster, but they're certainly projecting their shadow. And what I like about your videos is that, you don't, how do I say it? You don't have kids' gloves on. You're pretty like, this is not easy. This is hard. I'm calling the shit out. And a lot of it is shadow work. Uh, how can people, maybe explain, how can people work on their shadow or what does shadow work entail in your, when you work with people?
3: Yeah, so shadow work is the process. It's the great work.
2: I think you and... said it's one of the most important things to awakening, right? It's
3: Yes. It's... Shadow work is so important, so so what it is is the shadow is unconscious. We're also unconscious of a lot of positive things.
0: Mm-hmm. As
3: a matter of fact, I would even say that conscious individuals, yes, they have shadow that needs to be integrative, where they could be vindictive, uh, you know, predator, perpetrator, end of the spectrum stuff going on still, but a, a conscious individual has more so, a lot of their light that's hidden in their shadow to actually bring forward and integrate, which is a, be- I call it a beautiful problem. Actually, people that are, are responsible enough to, to try to be conscious or if not consider themselves conscious and are working more towards that end have beautiful problems. And so the shadow in that end of the spectrum would be like uh, inner child work would be perfect where they're being able to, even acknowledge or honor their light because they never had a mirror of that before. They never had, um, even if they did have that, the the most innocent aspect of the shadow is something we simply don't know how to embody. And so a lot of the times what we're getting in a, in a law of attraction is we're not getting an exact reflection. That's like a huge misconception about the law of attraction. A lot of times, especially this is important for conscious individuals, we're getting like a negative, like in photography, we're getting like what we don't embody, but need to. So we might attract people who, um, or situations where they're bringing out what we actually need from them. So, oh, I can't stand that person. They go they go around and they just take so many pictures of themselves and, and then <laughs> post it. And they, they took that quote from somebody else. They, what, and, and, and so nobody is saying to like that, but if we're attracting certain individuals in our experience that are representing something that we just can't stand and that we can't see ourselves. in, it's probably cause we're not that. But what we're getting a picture of what we're getting a reflection of is the medicine we need, because what it's really pointing to isn't you're a narcissistic individual. What it's really pointing to is, hey, you see that part of your inner child that doesn't feel acknowledged and really wants to shine, but you're judging the heck out of it to the point where you've locked that energy into place and now it has no vibrational movement in it. So it's basically paralyzed will for all intents and purposes, it's dead will. Yeah. In order to ascend, you're going to need that. (laughs) So shadow work at that point becomes actually just really being able to super be honest with ourselves about our own needs, even if we're not in touch with them fully. And so, um, and and life will help. Life will help (laughs) Uh, depending on how on board we are or not with our own growth and our own spiritual evolution. Life will, you know, come in and say, Hey, (laughs) You needed that help right there, (laughs) I can help. Um, That's at least what happened with my own journey. That's why I'm very acutely aware of how life will help when we need it. But yeah, so for shadow work, it's super important to also be able to acknowledge the fact that we contain the whole spectrum within us. Okay, it serves nothing in my evolution if I do not admit, if I have the quality of vindictiveness. But it costs everything if I, still using me as an example, were to not want to look at if I have the quality of vindictiveness. Only I really, at the end of the day, will suffer from my inability or lack of ability to meet myself completely where I am. So shadow work is also, in that sense, being super humble because we're constantly humbling ourselves into an honest space with all of our aspects.
2: Yeah, and having a dialogue with them. Because as I tell people, these sh- the shadow wants a seat at the table. Just got to make sure it's King Arthur's round table and you listen to it. That's all it wants. It's like, I want to listen. To- I am Miguel's dark side or whatever. I want to listen and then we will work together.
3: <laughs> yeah, and the dark side can be super powerful and even serve the light.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: A part of my work is also showing that, you know, like, like I'm a spicy meatball. If I wasn't a spicy meatball, then like, like it serves me somehow, right? Like we have to, we have to be honest and real about our nature. And then from there we exalt it, but not by suppressing it. We exalt it by going, how, how is this nature serving the all? So it would do me no justice, my path, if I try to replicate someone else's path. So for me, I look at even what I call spicy. <laughs> I call that like, then that's then that's my medicine for the world. Then that's my specific medicine. I'm not here to bring another person's medicine. I'm not here to go, you know, like I'm not. Um, whatever my audience is, it's mine. That's, that's what's better than yours instead of pretending or emulating something that you're not. And then, you know, getting whatever. So because of that, It's also about really being honest about wherever our darkness is, but also is it serving a super benevolent purpose at the end of the day?
2: Oh, it is, it is. And, uh, well, speaking of uh, spicy meatballs, I cook a pasta, Vance, uh, Sachi.
1: Any questions from you or the audience? Well, um, we definitely have got questions out there. And let's see no, um, I'll be right back. Dan-
2: like, I've got two little tricksters i got to let out the cats. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't let them trick you too badly. Um, okay. Daniel W. wants to know from you, Sarah, um, he, um, would, he'd love to have your thoughts on reconciling our spiritual nature and ascension journey with the enjoyment of material success.
3: To me, I see them as a part of one another, because if we look at also ascension, which I talk about a lot in different, all the different facets of it, as fulfillment. So to bring this a little bit back to Gnosticism before I answer it first, um, what I really drive about some of the branches of Gnosticism is the fact that it's through the, the liberation of the soul and joy are inextricably linked in some of those teachings and so we can be in this world and not of it but still have material success because this poverty consciousness that humanity is waking up out of is also one where it's this dichotomy i have to appear a certain way in order to really feel spiritual or i have to you know some sort of false light programming around martyrdom um, it's not that martyrdom doesn't have an exalted role. Of course it does. But martyrdom is strongly used as a false light program on humanity and specifically people who are conscious and waking up. So it's funny how the people who would do the best with with having with the most responsible, you know, like it, it's not like, oh my God, I have money. Now I'm going to be this unconscious person. No, <laughs> money doesn't, money only enhances who you already are. So sometimes I think about winning the lottery and I kind of get overwhelmed. And I know it's blocking me because I I buy the ticket sometimes, but then I don't even check it. And the reason why when I tuned into that is because sometimes it would just create so much of a life path for me because i would use it for what i'm doing but now i'd feel i'd have to do it at a larger level so to answer his question it doesn't make you low vibes it doesn't turn you into the ego does it have that potential yes but what's happening with conscious people is we have to embrace that aspect of what's happening because one it's linked with fulfillment in some way it, it, if you have gifts to share in whatever capacity and you're so aligned with it, and and it's doing well in the material world, then to me, that that doesn't signify at all that there's some sort of spiritual deficiency that can signify that a person is so in alignment with their Dharma, that they're seeing a physical representation, a physical manifestation of that. And so one that and then two, as I said, the poverty consciousness that spiritual people have been stuck in, And then funny, the layman who typically only cares about money um, would, would be like, let's call that for lack of a better term or more compassionately, like the egoic state of mind, the egoic state of mind, it'll put you to sleep. It'll put you deeper to sleep. But if you're awakening and you have some sort of material abundance going on, then what that can be used to do is actually through a feedback loop, help bring more fulfillment. And not, I, I don't mean an ego fulfillment. I mean like a, a fulfillment of somebody's dharma or a fulfillment of what somebody's needed to heal in past lives, so, some sort of, of things that are used because they're done in a conscious and responsible way.
1: Very good. Um, Curly Vegan just came up with a super chat, which we uh, always pick first. Uh, and he wants to say, hi, Sarah, how do you find your purpose?
3: You find your purpose by, one, seeing where you get life force from. It's not because life force is your purpose. Life force is the little carrot on the donkey that you follow to your purpose. So you try to find whatever gives you life force. The reason why I say that is because a lot of people on a spiritual path come across a lot of blocked will. The ego self has deflated but their higher self hasn't fully inflated within their being yet. So they're in this like in between realm. And so they have a lot of paralyzed will because of that, because the old has faded, but the new hasn't been nourished enough yet. So that nourishingness will be life force. So I'll give you a really example. I'll just give you a basic example. Let's say it brings me life force to be in curious about, Essential oils. Essential oils might not be my purpose, but if that's giving me life force at that time and nothing else in my environment or my immediate reality is giving me life force, then I might become really curious about essential oils. And so I might start, I might buy a book on that or start looking them up and stuff like that. And then from there, that might expand and that might go to, oh, And that might open a door to something that we didn't even know about beforehand, kind of like flower essences. And then we expand more. And so that's why I say life force. It's because that is the, the thing that's pointing to purpose. There's a second part to this and it's more direct. I just, I gave you that roundabout one. The direct thing is how you find your purpose is your, everyone's purpose is to be themselves. Because when you're yourself, You're going to go, okay, what would myself do? And so everybody needs to be themselves, not only because that's healing, but also because whatever we do to be ourselves is what we're calling by the name purpose. So purpose can really just be worded a different way. Instead of saying purpose, it's you're here to express your truth and who you are. That could be through making bracelets that this is how I express who I am. I'm making bracelets, this can, whatever, but people get really, they're putting a huge restriction on that valve, that channel to their higher self when they're going like, okay, I need to find my purpose because the higher self never said coming into this life, your purpose was to go make an organic brand of essential oils that were from this region of the world specifically, that is too detailed. The higher self-set, you come in to be yourself, go. And then the free will comes in and says, okay, what does that mean? Okay, let's go. At one point I was getting life force from poetry. I still consider myself a spoken word poet. I'm still um, combining a third collection. But as you can see from there, that's not what I'm known for. But at one point that was my life force. And I thought that that was my purpose. So I'm really just trying to stress the fact that whatever we do at whatever time, sure, that's a part of our purpose. But really at that time, what I was doing was saying, this is Sarah's art. So I was just being myself. I was sharing myself with the world through that medium. And then that expanded me. So I really want people to hone in when they're thinking of purpose from the perspective of sharing yourself with the world, what would that look like if you were only ever received from the world doing that?
2: Well said. Yes, and uh, for the audience, sir uh, poetry is really good. I read this poem, uh, "Meet Me at Earth." I want to see what you look like, and uh, I was floor. It was a beautiful poem. Beautiful poem. Thank so. You. And uh, bringing back Jung, he did say once uh, about finding yourself, he said, well, think about when you were a child and what made the hours seem like minutes. If you can hone on that, what were you doing? Building, dressing up dolls, drawing, uh, skipping in the rain. You just follow that and you'll find your purpose. So,
1: Yeah, I was going to say that because I have very clear memories, like when I was three years old, playing with lights and switches and taking things apart. That's what I loved. And what do I do for a living? Basically, that.
3: (laughs) And now you got Cosmos behind you, so you're winning.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's worked out well. Yeah. Um, you want to take more questions, Miguel? We got yeah, no, a lot yeah, of...
2: the, yeah. It looks like people need uh, Sarah's answers. So, so fine. I mean, we I, I talked to her about archons, Philip K. Dick, and tricksters. My life is good. So, uh, <laughs> and also, well, today too, as I've said, I had uh, I have a witch who does these psychic cleansings on me. Her name is Ava. So I am on top of the world. But oh, cool. others might need your help.
1: <laughs> okay, well, I, um, I, I, by the way, for the audience, I pick questions according to how well they match what we're talking about, or how, uh, in this case, how much, you know, what Sarah's talking about tonight. So here's one that's uh, definitely uh, very close. How does a near-death experience affect or relate to shadow work?
3: Oh, yeah. So the cool thing is you could have near-death experiences without passing out. I don't know if people are aware of that or without having near death, but anyways, um, so a near death experience, how, uh, how that relates to shadow work is it puts a person on a new trajectory. That's the whole point of them to put, okay. So maybe my audience might be familiar with my video on timelines. So timelines shift all of the time, but unfortunately because of, the ego, and I don't mean it in a negative way, just the habitualness. So the ego is just the habitualness of the self. Because of that, it's not always likely that we shift timelines. So our trajectories look very solid and they look very cemented and they're not. Um, NDEs are there when a person, no judgment, When a person has gone too far away from optimal or too far away from their life intention and the NDEs come in to completely shake up that cementedness of their timelines because when you get the cementedness, the solidity of your timeline shaken, then new probabilities occur. So it's kind of like coming in, shaking up the thing, Hope, hoping for the best with the reset. So, how that relates to shadow work is the trajectories that now come online are ones that typically make a person go into a deeper state of mysticism, you know, because they're having a mystical experience. So, that puts them on new trajectories. And shadow work all of a sudden enters the scene, becomes more of an important theme because now we're faced with our mortality. What is a deeper theme embedded in the psyche, a.k.a. the shadow or the unconscious, than our mortality?
2: Fear of death, yeah. Or do a lot of ayahuasca like I do. Yeah. And I'm like, the older I get, the more hippie I'm becoming. I don't know what happened.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I heard a quote from... um, Terrence McKenna, he said something like all esotericism is, is like practice of death or study of death. And I'm laughing because that is so true. Like it when is. I came into this, it was, it was like, yeah, this is a like, like, how do we die? And so, so like Sometimes lifetimes that's are it. about your death.
2: <laughs> well, that's what Socrates said. All philosophy is just preparing right. for death. Uh, the philosophy. Buddhists say the same thing. All yeah. meditation is just getting yourself ready to, for the illusion that is death. Cause that's what it ultimately is. And, it's hard because I always think, well, fear is me holding on to life. All my fears, I want to hold on to this and that and all that stuff. I, I remember one time being so fearful of death. I was so into my ego. I was afraid of falling asleep because I'd be like, well, when I fall asleep, I change. What happens to that person who falls asleep? And then I'm Miguel. and That's how much I, control I wanted over things. And I got really depressed. And so, well, I'm much better now, like Monty Python in the Holy Grail. <laughs> I <laughs> feel <better>. much better.
3: <laughs> you got so tired.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: But I was terrified just to fuck because I did not want to let go of my egoic world. Because when you sleep, the ego is no longer in control and you're in a completely parallel dimension. Different mm-hmm. rules, different worlds.
1: That's a good segue Uh, into Mr. Rison's question, who said uh, shadow work is very important. It gets pretty tough. Any advice to cope with depression and stuff?
3: Yeah, this is kind of why I started, one of the reasons I started doing in-person events is people need a support system now. There's only so much that can be reconciled in isolation. A lot can, right? The hermit phase is glorified a part of the journey. But um, a lot of the times it's that human connection through shadow work that's needed as well. And that's that's where online communities shine. Because if we don't have a physical community, then the online community is what uh, we gather resources, we gather strength from. But that's at least when I'm tuning into the listener who asked that question um, it's the support system is, um, really important to be able to, and, and if you don't have one and you can't find some sort of forum or online community to be able to, um, bounce that off of, um, but the depression is, is linked with the, the lack of being understood and connection that comes with it. And so, you know, actually that's, part of where my poetry was birthed from there's there's art to be made in those stages if you could find it and that's also shadow work that's alchemy is being able to find a avenue a creative outlet that you feel will be able to express your shadow in so expression is also really important for um for the shadow
2: and uh what about what i tell people and again i'm they're showing again of turning into a big old hippie going out in nature to me is help because I live in a very remote area so it's hard to meet with like-minded people and share you know there's AA meetings and a few things I can find people but going out and spending hours in nature it's like a different relationship with the animals and the spirits you start to they become your tribe i know it's it sounds strange but they're your people and for better or worse for the negative and positive nature you really be, become very happy in there
3: yeah you could actually go th- this is something i do i go <laughs> the people who see me think like, like they they run like <laughs> <laughs> put, put the, you put your hands on a tree, and then you ask that when you're breathing in the tree and the air from the tree, that all of the positive or microorganisms come in and help your flora. But to, for optimal, mm. be specific. Like, like so because um, the breath in forest or the breath by trees are really rich in um, positive um, elements for our gut flora.
2: Wow, I love that. Yeah, I know there's a saying right now on the internet when somebody's acting a complete fool, they'll go, go touch grass. And I'm <laughs> like, this is wisdom because, as a friend told me, going barefoot during the summer is for an hour is like having 10 therapy se- sessions. You know what I mean? It really does heal yeah. you. And yeah.
3: so. at this point, it's just go outside.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go outside, touch grass, just go. Get away from life, happens away from your screen and your family and your job. It happens in those wordless places, if you would. And there you have it, you veterans of a thousand psychic wars. Sarah is the bomb and provides more Gnosis bombs in our second part. Please support this Red Pill cafeteria for the complete audio interview, or if you find any value in the content. It will cost you less than a buck per episode, and that's a deal of your many lifetimes. And join the virtual Alexandria Academy to really grasp the Gnostic path. The alternative spirituality and philosophy of the Gnostics are more critical than ever in this Philip K. Dick world and Gnostic times. But this is our time to shine like crazy diamonds. We high priests and priestesses of Hermes, the god of thieves, and Sophia, the goddess of smugglers. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always.